When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Garda Serious Crime Review team have announced that a full review of the Sophie Toscan Duplantier murder case it will be held. We'll have the latest. A prolonged period of high inflation. That's the warning from the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. We asked, what will this mean for our standard of living? It is quite possibly the case that as a country, uh, we may face a prolonged period of high inflation. Singer Or Kelly is sentenced to 30 years in prison for racketeering and sex trafficking. We'll bring you the latest from the US. And later, romance fraud. What is it and how can we avoid it happening to us? Stay tuned. As always, get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Garthi are to conduct a full cold case review into the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. The 39-year-old French filmmaker was found dead close to her home in West Cork in 1996. Garthi say the case has always remained active. Well, just before coming on air, I spoke to our crime correspondent, Sarah O'Connor. I began by asking her how significant today's development was. I mean, it's really, really significant. This is 26 years on from a really high profile murder and what prompted it, the main motivational factor, I suppose, for this full review of this murder investigation uh, would be the call from Sophie's family. Her son, Pierre, has repeatedly called on the authorities here uh, to relook at the case, look at the evidence, look at the potential suspects. And again, of course, this is an unsolved murder. So there is pressure on them uh, to crack this case. And then we have the chief suspect, Ian Bailey. He's always denied involvement. He was questioned twice uh, in relation to the murder, never charged and the DPP decided that there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute. He uh, wrote to the Garda Commissioner on a number of occasions last year calling for this cold case review also. And then there was those two very high profile documentaries on Sky and Netflix, which certainly provided food for thought and gave people a lot to think about and probably a renewed focus on this investigation. Then there was that statement last year by Skull shopkeeper Mary Farrell, uh, identifying an associate of Daniel Duplantier, who was Sophie's husband, who died in 2003, as the person who was on Father Bridge, which was close to Sophie's house on the night of the murder. And of course, Sophie was found uh, beaten to death on the end of the laneway at Tourmore near Skull on the morning of the 23rd of December uh, 1996. And then, of course, um, certainly the Garthi were under a lot of pressure. Uh, they carried out a preliminary scoping exercise last year, the senior officers from the Serious Crime Review team, and then 
yesterday, uh, the now former Assistant Commissioner John O'Driscoll on his last day yesterday signed off on this full review, which will really look at this case from beginning to end. And Sarah, the solicitor for Ian Bailey has released a statement. Uh, what does that statement say? Yes, well, uh, and just to recall that Ian Bailey, of course, was convicted in his absence by a French court in 2019 of the murder of Sophie Tuscan Duplantier, sentenced to 25 years in prison. They sought his surrender over there, and then, of course, the High Court here refused to extradite him. His solicitor, Frank Buttermer, has issued a statement today on Ian Bailey's behalf, saying uh, the fact that there has now been a cold case review ordered is most welcome. Ian Bailey says he has no doubt the family of Sophie Tuscan Duplantier will also welcome the review. Frank Buttermer says that Ian Bailey has fought such a lengthy battle to seek a review and he will cooperate with the review to the best of his ability. And he says that the review also confirms the unreliability of the murder conviction in France. And of course, Garthi will be liaising with the French authorities as part of this review. Yeah, Sarah, so is there a timeline for all of this? And, and what specifically will the review now be looking at? So it's going to be a really comprehensive review. It's going to be a massive body of work. So we're looking at I suppose, at least a year. I mean, when you think of it, there are around 55 suspects, potential suspects or persons of interest identified after Sophie's murder. So Garthi will be looking into that to see if they've missed anything, to see if they need to rule someone in or out uh, in relation to these suspects and possibly talk to any suspects that are still alive, available. They'll be looking at evidence, potential new evidence, if anything turns on it, looking at exhibits. Uh, and not all of the exhibits are available, of course. They'll be looking into that whole issue in relation to the missing gate. They'll be possibly, you know, talking to witnesses, certainly looking at the, the witness statements, talking to witnesses, possibly. And then they'll be hoping, I suppose, that advances in DNA technology will lead to a break in this case. And ultimately, I suppose time will tell whether there will be any new evidence, whether anyone will be brought to justice for this unsolved murder. OK, Sarah, thank you for that. Now, another news today, Ireland had the second most expensive food prices in the Eurozone in 2021. That's according to new figures from the Central Statistics Office. Here in studio to discuss this and more on inflation is journalist Sinead Ryan, Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne, economist Austin Hughes, Sinn Féin TD Sorka Clark, and via Skype tonight by Casey Peach's business owner, Katie Cantwell. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, let's talk about those eye-watering figures on our food prices, Sinead. You know, we're 17% higher than the EU average. Uh, we're second most expensive for, for alcohol um, across the Eurozone. Um, and sorry, I beg your pardon, alcohol, we're more than double the EU average on prices. But when, when we talk about these prices and the basics are impacted here, you're talking about milk, cheese and eggs, produce that isn't imported being 25% higher here than in other countries around Europe. That's all last year. That's before we're seeing this, these inflationary price rises. We've always been pricey. I mean, these are not, these are very dubious lists to be coming out on top of. There's no doubt about it. And it does make a mockery of the fact that we are this incredibly rich agricultural country. Uh, and yet even the stuff we produce and use ourselves is, um, is skyrocketing. Now, I think in fairness, we need to discount things like alcohol and tobacco, which really come out terribly high. And that's because we've made conscious social and political decisions to tax the hilt out of those for all kinds of reasons, um, which isn't linked to inflation. Um, but even leaving that aside and even taking out the energy thing, which is obviously global and particularly European, you're still left with a nagging feeling that we're being ripped off, that we are being screwed over. And um, there's no getting away from it. And 
a lot of the times I think that we have to take the view, yes, we're an island economy, yes, we have to get this stuff here, yes, we have a high VAT rate and we have a high minimum wage, um, all, all of which we've chosen. But you, you do get the feeling, really, that we are just being hammered. And, and it's such a shame because when we saw during, during the last couple of weeks when, when even outfits like Lonely Planet say, don't go to Ireland, you'll be absolutely screwed mm. on price. You know, we have to start looking at that and we have to start seeing what we are doing differently. We're way past a blip on inflation at this stage. This is now systemic. It's inbuilt. And, you know, you have to think, Claire, there's a little bit of price gouging going on there as well. Mm. People expect prices to be higher. Well, lo and behold, there they are. But again, I point to Austin Hughes, this report being from 2021. Um, and that's before we've had, I say, the spiralling, the cost of living, the price increases that we've seen that we hear from government. Look, we're not just dealing with that. All countries are dealing with this. We've always been expensive. Why is our food in particular coming out so expensive in this report? Well, if you look at the reports for 2019, 2015, 2012, if you go back to the early 2000s, people making programmes called Rip Off Republic, this isn't something new. This has been part of the Irish economic story for the last several decades. And uh, as Sinead was saying, I think there are some good reasons why this is the case. You know, we are an island. We tend to be uh, small in terms of our production, which means that we have less economies of scale. We have higher transport costs. So there's a lot of good reasons. And as Sinead is always hinting, also hinting, I think there are some bad reasons. We tend to accept this as being very much the norm in terms of the way the world works. But it is interesting when you look at the, the map across Europe of the countries that have the highest prices, they also tend to have the highest incomes. So if you look at the average for prices in Ireland, they're at 42%, roughly above the European average. It's countries with very low wages that tend to be at the lowest. And if you look at our, adjust our sort of income per head, forget about the GDP and the multinationals, but adjust it, it's about 42% above the, the average. So it's not only that we make choices in terms of taxation, as a nation, we make these other taxations in terms of pay, in terms of our willingness to absorb different costs, but in terms of, to get back to the specifics, in terms of food... The and idea that, being, you know, Austin, sorry, that people are earning more, they can afford to, to pay yeah. more and to spend more. Uh, you know, it, it's a silly comparison, but if you look where the most expensive houses are, you know, they're in the places where the people are wealthiest. You know, that tends to be the correlation in terms of prices generally. But there are issues that... I'm not saying this isn't a problem. I think there are very important issues that we need to address and policy needs to be very sharply focused because the, the current crisis in terms of the cost of living runs the risk that we run off the rails on okay. this. Uh, Katie Cantwell, I'd like to bring you in here um, from Casey Peaches. Um, you run a cafe, you run, you run a, a chain of cafes, you run a business um, in catering as well. You must find wholesale the price is quite hard to take at the moment. It has been incredibly difficult the past few months. I've never seen anything like it in the 16 years since we opened. And uh, overall, it is really difficult because clearly, while we have maybe increased our prices slightly, we can't actually increase our prices to the level to keep up with inflation. 
So how is this impacting your business? Um, is the price being passed on to the customer? Um, is it impacting on the number of, of staff you can employ? H how is it hitting you right now? Because, of course, businesses and many businesses like yours have come out of a pandemic, which saw lockdowns and closures, and you're trying to build yourself up after that. Exactly. No, it's been an incredibly difficult time for hospitality overall. Uh, that Everybody is aware of that. Um, but I think, as you said, what's really unfortunate is that we're kind of getting a double whammy here. We've had the pandemic, which is horrible, and now we've got uh, the inflation, uh, both in terms of our labor costs and in terms of our cost of goods sold. Um, it's been incredibly difficult. I think for us, we're very much a value-driven brand. So we try and keep our prices in line. Um, we, we have really tried not to pass over uh, costs to customers and we tried to keep the quality of our product really high. So um, overall, it's just an incredibly difficult time. Um, I think what we're trying to do is just get more customers into our stores and hope that by through sales growth, we can absorb these changes. Uh, and absorb um, the, the high costs that you're facing. Well, let's take um, a little watch now at what Michael McGrath had to say about inflation um, when he was speaking there today. Um, we might come to that clip a little later, but speaking in the doll um, today about a prolonged period of inflation that we're facing into Sorka Clark. Um, when you hear that, when you hear that from government that, you know, essentially we have to hold tight here. It's, we know it's going to be challenging for people. Um, what would Sinn Féin say to that, that this is something that can't essentially be resolved overnight? First, Katie is actually correct in what she says, and it's also something that we hear um, quite regularly from farmers who have yet to see the price increases come back to them in order to cover their increased cost of inputs. But in terms of the government holding tight, in some ways that's a dereliction of duty, because while they have done some, and we have never said that they can insulate everybody from everything. There are a portion of working families out there who are getting closer and closer to a precipice from which for them can spell disaster. And whether that's the increases in rent, the increases in energy costs, and now food on top. This has been an incredibly tough week for working families across this country. This is the week when school books lists land in for September. This is the week when, when Bus Erin will send out the reminders for email to do with school mm. transport. It's simply not good enough for the ministers to stand up in the doll and say we have one of the lowest ever levels of unemployment. We have a, over a billion in a surplus okay. there. But ordinary people need to just hold tight, buckle up. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And we'll go off the summer and see it in October. Uh, That's not just... Malcolm Byrne, it's certainly what the opposition are accusing government on on this one, that this is an emergency, this is a crisis. And yet the government are holding out until the budget to deal with it. No, it's not the case. It is a crisis. Uh, and I think Michael McGraw was just being honest with people, saying we are going to uh, see a period of prolonged inflation. Uh, there was a, a certain degree of, even apart from Putin's war, um, because so much money was pumped into the economy during the period of COVID, there was going to be knock-on inflation as a result of that. There are supply chain challenges that are out there. Uh, I think most people recognise Michael McGrath as one of the straightest talkers in government. He calls it as it is. Um, government's approach is, it's not about piecemeal measures. It's about ensuring 
Well, there's that, already the right been strategy. arguably now piecemeal measures. Well, no, there have been there, those there emergency so there measures. Been, yeah, there have been. Um, but they, been they haven't gone far enough for the people who are really hurting the most yeah, right and, now, Malcolm. And it is. So, th- so there have been about two and a half billion euro uh, in measures, including in the areas like the fuel allowance and mm. so on over, over the last year. Um, there are other measures, which in terms of freezing school transport costs and so on. There, there are decisions that are being made. It's not all coming in made. immediately, though. I mean, no, no, they, they, they are. I mean, we've seen, sorry, we've seen, we've seen public transport fares cut. We've seen school yeah. transport fees fray, uh, uh, um, uh, are being frozen. Uh, we've seen uh, yeah, but the it's abolition. Not the, it's of, not the emergency budget. So what Sinn Féin are calling for is this 1.3 billion euro but, raft of measures to be brought in on an immediate basis. For example, one-off cash payments for low and middle income earners, social welfare rate rise to come in, um, rental payback and, and also childcare measures to be put in place for people who are really feeling the pinch most. Yeah, and, and people are feeling it tough. That's why there were significant measures put in place in the budget, including a dramatic increase in the fuel allowance, which Sinn Féin did not support. Yeah, but they, uh, at obviously the time. they're not. It's it's not going in pace with what people are seeing I, I in terms the, of but, being but, hit. But here's here's the question um, for government, and it's a difficult choice: is do we continue to try uh, to chase inflation? We're also well, going to be seeing some of the challenges. For instance, that if we see interest rates increasing over the next while, that's going to have an All impact. All right, chase, 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 chasing inflation, um, Austin, this is something that the government has often come out and saying that if you increase all of these things, it all adds up to an inflationary spiral. Would you agree? I think what the government does and how it does it is very important. I, I think in scale, there is a need to do a great deal uh, in Sharpness, I think it does have to be targeted, you know, to those who need it most. And in signaling, and I think this may get over some of the the time issues and have an emergency budget next week or the week after, I think there has to be clear that there will be very substantial measures undertaken in October at a time when heating bills are starting to become really problematic. And there has to be that social guarantee, really, that there will be a significant offset to people. And in that regard, I think you prevent it from chasing inflation. The risk is if you do nothing or do the wrong things, just give everyone an extra fiver or whatever it is, then it becomes a free-for-all. There's no control on it. And in those yeah, circumstances, Yeah, an extra fiver, many people runs. watching it say also yeah, yeah. will not but, go very far But that's not what I mean. Precisely all. as Austin has said, we are yep. going to be talking about targeted measures. Uh, targeting those who who are most vulnerable, and also looking at areas like childcare, which are very significant. So, so could law be looked at? According respect, to Malcolm, we've been talking about childcare since my eldest child was going to preschool 25 years ago, and we're still talking about it. What we haven't seen is the definitive action that those working families out there need, and they need it absolutely urgently. The, if you take a look at what Sinn Féin are saying, we are not the only people who are saying that the government can do more. The ESRI are saying the government can do but more. The, the Central Bank the, the is saying that the government can do more. I just, I want the the ESRI is report What's is very clear. The targeted measures... Let her finish her point. That's, that's fine. On that, um, and just to go back to something you mentioned there before about price gouging, um, and Austin talking as well about policy. What do you think needs to be done in terms of, there's always this argument, you know, any regulators we have have don't seem to have much teeth to do much to bring prices down when there are allegations around price gouging. Um, no, and I heard Pascal Donoghue on the radio this morning saying that that's absolutely not within his ambush to start telling companies what they should and should be charging for things. Look, the single cause of inflation is money. It's too much money. And 
any government has a very fine line to draw between putting more money into the system uh, and um, allowing inflation to take its course. And, and it is a definitely a, a kind of a fine stepping stone. In the meantime, while we're going through it, I would much prefer honesty in the doll and to be told what's going wrong rather than don't worry about it, it's a blip, we'll get over it, calm down. Um, so I think Matthew McGrath was correct to stand up and say mm. this is a sustained thing because he has to prepare us, he has to warn us. Mm. And then you turn around and you say, here's what we're going to do about it and here's how we're going to target it. And I absolutely agree with Austin there. There's no point in chucking the fiver a week at the budget, which has been happening since budgets immemorial with these two government, this government and the last one. This now has to be, if we are going to throw money at somebody, uh, it should only be to those people who, who are in desperate need of it and won't contribute further to that inflation spiral. OK, my thanks to Austin, to Sorka and to Katie. Uh, coming up after the break, how to spot romance fraud. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Cases of romance fraud have increased internationally since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. More than €800,000 was scammed from Irish people in the first five months of this year. Well, a little earlier, I spoke to Detective Superintendent Michael Crean from the Gartha National Economic Crime Bureau, and I began by asking him about the profile of these fraudsters. Yes, um, good evening, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yes, we are talking about um, organised international crime gangs. Um, they create false, uh, false personas on dating sites. They have backstories. And they wait until they're matched by a victim, and the victim could be from anywhere in the world. And it is it is highly organised and it's highly profitable crime for these international criminal organisations. Okay, uh, tell us about how how they ensnared their victims in this case, um, Superintendent. We hear that eight hundred thousand euro has been taken so far this year, between January and May alone, um, from victims who've been caught up in this fraud trap. Uh, how do they find them? How do they target them? Um, well, this type of crime um, exploded really during COVID. Um, it has reduced now dramatically since the since the economy opened up. So what happens is um, the victim is on a on a dating website. They are matched with a male um, or with a person. He, he he comes across as being almost a perfect person. Very quickly on, he will ask her to move off the messaging service of the app and move on to, we'll say, the likes of WhatsApp. Um, he will get a lot of information out of her without really um, divulging too much about himself. And this, if we use a fishing analogy, this could go on for some time. He, he has hooked her, he reels her in over a period of time. And it may start then with a uh, like a tragic instant in his life where he loses his credit card or he's a victim of an assault. And I'm quite sure at the moment they're saying they're being held up at airports and their credit card isn't working and they ask for a small amount of money. And there may even be occasions where that first amount of money is actually paid back to build up the trust over a period of time. And more and more than it, it's fees for customs, it's, it's shipping fees, it, it's mm -hmm. loans to help sick parents or operations for children. And it just builds up, it builds up, it builds up. And he has even gone into what we call investment fraud, where they offer advice on how to invest in, in we'll say, cryptocurrency as well. But it's all, it's all a fraud from the start. It, it's a stolen image he has used. It's a, a made-up backstory he is using. 
You've made an arrest in this instance. Um, tell us about that, um, about that particular arrest and how investigations are going in this area. Yeah, we, we've made, uh, over the last number of years, we've made a number of arrests in a, in a number of different cases. Uh, this specific case is started in Hungary, where there was a victim there. She believed she was in a relationship with uh, a man who was purporting to be a doctor. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. She sent him uh, about $4,000. Uh, eventually, she realized she had been defrauded, and she reported it to the Hungarian police. Uh, from their investigations, they discovered that the money had been sent to a bank account in Ireland. They contacted us looking for assistance. When we examined the bank account, we discovered that there had been 46 suspicious credits to this account from 12 different people in eight different European countries, including the first victim. The total amount of money was almost €110,000, and all the money came from 12 different females, and our suspicion would be that each of them is a victim of romance fraud. Um, as I said, a male has been arrested in relation to this case, and our investigations are ongoing in conjunction with these other countries now to try and identify these victims and ensure that they are, are, are safe. That was Detective Superintendent Michael Crean. Uh, now our panel joins us here in studio. Journalist Sinead Ryan is still with me and Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne. And I'm also joined by psychotherapist Richard Hogan and Dr Nicola Fox-Hamilton, um, who works specifically in this area. Um, to come to you first, Richard, when we talk about this, it appears that people are, are really um, very guarded generally. And when it, when it comes to being aware of scams, we're mm. more and more aware of what's out there. But where affairs of the heart are concerned. There is a vulnerability there, it seems. There absolutely is, Claire, And we are very guarded about our financial details. But what happens, psychologically speaking, is that when we connect with someone, and these guys are preying on the most fundamental basic need, which is to connect with each other. And sometimes when we want to launch out into a romantic relationship, and we, in, the, you know, in the first moments of that, it's very exciting. Parts of the brain are firing. Dopamine, norepinephrine are firing, which really make us feel good. And that's what makes us so vulnerable that we have this, um, these chemicals being released that make us like, you know, feel really, really like the reward centre, the pleasure centres are firing. And so, not to get too technical, but, but the hypothalamus can sometimes short-circuit the prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking, right? Which okay. is the logic so you're part. you're blinded by love. Which I'm, I'm sure my mother-in-law thought this when her daughter fell in love with me, that <laughs> 
surely she's not thinking straight. But that's that part of the brain that short, 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 short circuits logic. And so we might have all these warning signs, someone asking for, us for money, but there might be a bit of cognitive dissonance because we see the signs, we, we, we see the warning signs, and we don't listen to them. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and I was talking there to the superintendent about how specific people are targeted in this way. Tell us a little bit, uh, Nicola, about the, the mindset of the criminals involved. Um, you know, where they're coming from in terms of, I suppose, their motivation and how easy they find all of this clearly to do. Um, so what happens with a lot of criminals is that they use what's called neutralizations in order to rationalize what they're doing and make themselves feel a bit better about it. And from the research on romance scammers, we know that they deny that there is a victim. So they've invested a lot in the relationship because the grooming process with victims takes a considerable amount of time, months up to two years before they even ask for money. And what they're doing in that process is giving the victim a romantic relationship. So they feel like the victim's part of that, that they've bought into this and that if they're not smart enough or they're not savvy enough to catch on that it's a fraud, that they deserve what's coming to them. So they don't, they're not actually a victim. So that's one of the ways they rationalize it. And they rationalize away the risk by saying that what they're doing isn't really that harmful. It's not like murder. It's not that bad that a lot of these people from, you know, wealthy Western countries mm. can afford to lose some money and that they're greedy and, and this kind of thing. Uh, and just on the way gangs like this operate, um, it's interesting, isn't it, that sometimes they employ a psychologist to work with them in targeting people. Yeah, very... So it's the art of manipulation very much at play here. It really is. They are incredibly good at psychologically manipulating their victims. And unfortunately, some very unethical psychologists can get roped into dealing with these gangs and setting up the best way to make it work. And it is incredibly good what they do. Um, you know, the the it's a long game and people don't realise and they're very involved in it. And, you know, the superintendent was talking about how people... Um, talk a lot and give away a lot of information and the scammer doesn't because they don't want to reveal anything about themselves. But that makes people feel very listened to in a way that they might not have in other parts of their life. And that's a very powerful thing to feel heard and feel listened to. And that's one of the ways that they can really reel people in. Um, Sinead, you obviously in the line of, you know, working on consumer issues, yeah. we're hearing an awful lot about scams now. Are you surprised to the extent at which this is happening when you hear of a figure like €800,000 so far this year? Do you know what it is, Claire? I've been writing about this for, for years and years and years. Everything from, you know, face creams by alleged celebrities that don't exist to Bitcoin fraud to bank phishing to all this kind of stuff... I think it strikes me as shocking that it's still going on because there's a huge amount about this now. And, you know, Nicola's been, like, she's absolutely the expert and has been really kind there. I'm going to go with the line that, like, at this stage, if you have never met somebody that you're in a relationship with, if you have never asked, when I speak to dating agency bosses and I say, how can we stop this? They say, if you don't ask for somebody for a live video call early, you are not in a relationship. You don't have a relationship with somebody that you only know online. That's not real. Like, is that, is I, that, you do, it's I do interesting that you say that because we hear of all these catfishing cases and people do um, wonder, you know, how can you have a relationship mm. if you've never actually talked to this person or, or seeing their face in, in a video capacity, but you're going on, on, on photos online 
But people are really invested in those relationships, would you say? Absolutely. I mean, dating has irrevocably changed in the, in the last 15 years. And so how we think about how we meet the people has changed massively. So online dating is, 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 is how most people meet each other out there. So it's not a massive stretch to meet somebody online and, and fall for them. And really what happens is people are lonely and isolated over the lockdown over the last two years. People have disconnected from each other. So when somebody targets you, has your profile, understands, you know, your likes, your dislikes, what movies you like, what books you read, and they tap into that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this person gets me. And what you said about being listened to, what a huge thing for us to feel, especially if we've been feeling low and we've been feeling isolated for someone to really listen to you and to kind of connect with you in a fundamental way about your needs and what you like. That's so powerful. Yeah, um, you know, when we when we hear about this and, and, and Richard talking about the loneliness there and the isolation, you know, this is a this is a scam that is like I say we hear about it on phone in shows and the rest of it. But it's a scam that is clearly growing because of that isolation that people are feeling um, from a regulatory point of view, Malcolm. Is there anything that can be done about this? I think there is the important message that this is a crime. And for anybody who has been a victim in these circumstances, they should feel comfortable being able to go to the Gardaí to report it. Uh, because we are going to see increasing evidence of cybercrime. We are. It's estimated that last year uh, that cybercrime, cyber attacks, uh, cost Ireland something of the order of 9.6 billion euro. From a regulatory point of view, uh, there's certainly additional investment being made in the National Crime uh, Centre. Uh, we're legislating at the moment with the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill, which will set up a new media commission that will regulate the social media companies for the first time and place also an obligation I mean, on, on them. Can they be held more to account? Can they be, could they be doing more? Or is this a case of, like, we're talking about how easy it is just to, you know, save a photo, take someone else's profile, set up a fake email account. All of these things are just so easy to do. Is it, it possible to it, do It is. And I think, I think part of the question is around, is around account verification and how you deal with anonymous accounts and bots. Uh, and frankly, my view is that we can do a certain amount as legislators and regulators, but there is an obligation on the social media platforms to do more as well. And some of them, quite frankly, are not doing uh, enough. Uh, it's estimated that probably on Twitter that something of about 20% uh, of accounts on Twitter are bots or anonymous accounts. Very few of them are praising anybody. We published a report yesterday uh, at the Iraq the Sports Committee on the abuse of referees and officials and games. And these are not just professionals. These are people, you know, pitch side. Uh, and there are, you know, these have very real, real world consequences. And unfortunately... And we, yeah, we do make life comfortable for big tech here, don't we? Like with, when you see the number of HQs that are set up and, uh, and the money being made by companies um, that have set up here in Ireland. Uh, uh, with all of this, there's also the likes of how cash transfers mm. and that technology has made it so easy for people to part yeah, with their no, money. No, it is, it is terribly difficult. And I mean, that, that is absolutely the serious aspect of this. It's, it's not about the broken heart. Well, it is, but this is about serious money. Mm. Uh, and, and it is being transferred and it's been transferred internationally and across borders. And there seems to be that the regulators very often and the banks cannot keep up with the pace at which this is changing and moving. And I would say to people out there, you know, you are far less likely to be scammed by somebody hacking into your bank account. I mean, that almost never happens. Mm. You are much more likely to be scammed by voluntarily handing over your own money. Uh, Nicola, what are the red flags to look out for? Like, how should people um, spot this early and what can they do to ensure the person they're talking to 
is the person they think it is. So one of the red flags is someone who can't meet. So they've deliberately set up their profile so they can't meet. Now, of course, during lockdown, that made things more difficult because you didn't want to meet. And so that became a green flag. But I would say have a video chat with somebody very early on. Normally, these profiles are set up so that the person, usually the, the male profiles, they have some money. If they tell you their camera on their phone is broken, they can't FaceTime, those are red flags to look out for. So someone who just will not meet by video and keeps making excuses. Someone who love bombs you. So they immediately start declaring their love. They're extremely affectionate, extremely complimentary, really overwhelmingly so, um, and have you on the phone texting all the time. That's also a big red flag. It might feel lovely, but it's not how normal relationships develop. It's a lot faster. Um, so those are really big things. It can take a long time before they ask for money, but definitely don't give money to somebody that you've never met. Uh, and there is a stigma as well, Richard, just that people actually feel duped twice. They probably feel let down in a relationship they thought they were in, and also they've been defrauded. Absolutely, and they feel, and that's, I think it's really underreported what's going on. I think the estimates are probably very conservative because people feel so shameful. And it's in those silent spaces that abuse thrives and we must speak up if we have, it's, we're not, you know, we're victims in this if we get targeted. It's the perpetrators that need to be looked at and we have to go to the guards and we have to speak up for what's happened to us. Because as I said, when we're silent about it and we feel shame, that's the stigma. There should be no stigma. We were targeted by a criminal organisation. There's no stigma in us here. It's, that's on them and we need to report it. Okay, interesting one. And I suppose if people who are watching at home are kind of wary and, and, and wondering about, you know, what's going on and maybe they are giving away some cash, I, I take it the advice would be on this one, Sinead, is, is, is go to the guards, report it. Yeah, do report it um, and, and don't do it. I mean, don't give out money to somebody that you do not know IRL, as the kids say, in real life. If you do not know them, you haven't had coffee, you haven't had lunch. And I would say, even if you have, uh, keep your money to yourself. OK, good advice. We'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Richard Malcolm and Nicola. After the break, we bring you the latest from the US. As singer Or Kelly is jailed for 30 years. Stay with us. Welcome back now to some international news that's breaking tonight. And Oren B singer Or Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison by a federal court in New York for masterminding an elaborate scheme to entice and sexually exploit young aspiring singers and underage children. For more on this now, I'm joined um, from Washington, D.C. by correspondent Caroline Malone. Caroline, thank you for joining us tonight. 30 years in prison for Or Kelly. Uh, what more can you tell us about this sentence that was imposed in a New York courthouse in recent hours? Absolutely. Well, the sentencing hearing at that court, we actually heard impact statements from several people, including a victim who said that R. Kelly used his celebrity and money to lure children before abusing them. And we know, of course, that he'd been found guilty on nine counts of racketeering and sex trafficking charges. Now, his defence team had said that he's not the monster that has been portrayed in the trial. And actually, they were hoping that claims that he had been sexually abused himself as a child would be taken into account by the judge. The prosecution wanted R. Kelly to get a minimum of 25 years. And of course, we know now the judge went further than that, giving him 30 years which really means, as a 55-year-old, he is likely to spend most of the rest of his life behind bars. Um, his legal team have said, though, that they will appeal, and he still faces another
another trial, this time on child pornography and obstruction, which is likely to be for later this year. Okay, Caroline, we're going to move on to political news now and those uh, January 6th hearings that are taking place uh, and really explosive evidence that we heard um, yesterday from a White House uh, chief of staff aide talking about the former president wanting to divert uh, his motorcade to the Capitol, to his supporters back in January of 2020. Uh, what can you tell us about that and the reaction, in fact, to it? Well, absolutely. I mean, Hutchinson said that Trump knew that people in the crowd were armed. He actually told security to stop scanning people for weapons so they could get into the audience for his speech. He wasn't concerned because they weren't going to harm him. And after his speech, he'd been expecting to be able to make an off-the-record trip to join crowds outside of the Capitol building. And when his security detail refused, he shouted profanities. He even tried to lunge towards the steering wheel of a the car they were in. Now, we do know that the security services have been cooperating with the House committee investigating this case. So there is a chance in the future we may actually hear some testimony from them as well. Um, indeed, that may come up and we're likely maybe to get more in, in next month when there's likely to be more public hearings. But as for Donald Trump's reaction to all of this, uh, he's, of course, issued a denial. He has, absolutely. He's issued um, a number of statements on social media denying any of these events took place, calling them fabricated and lies. Um, but we should note that legal experts have suggested that what Hutchinson has said could actually be used to get other people to testify, including people like her boss, Meadows, Mark Meadows. It could even be used in future legal cases against Trump. We have to remember, though, that we are in an environment in the United States in which a number of high-profile Republicans still call what happened on that day, on January the 6th, legitimate political discourse rather than an attack or an insurrection on the Capitol. And a number of politicians who support Trump and who he has endorsed are actually getting through the primary rounds of elections ahead of the midterms. Republicans may even take control of the Senate and House this year. So really, there is some influence that Trump is definitely still wielding in this country. And ultimately, any evidence that is presented to the House in next month's investigations and hearings, while it is quite shocking, it doesn't have a legal basis unless the Justice Department decides to act on it. OK, Caroline Malone, thank you for joining us from uh, Washington, D.C., with the latest from there. We appreciate it. Well, journalist Sinead Ryan is still here with me, and I'm also joined by Lorcan Nine from the Communications Clinic. Um, Lorcan, um, this is an area that you're hugely interested in. What's happening stateside? Let's talk about those hearings and really talking about Donald Trump's reputation um, among his supporters and whether or not it'll be influenced at all by what's going on in these hearings? Well, by his absolute core group of supporters, it will not be. And I think consistently, no matter what happens, no matter what he does, no matter what comes out, his core group of supporters don't get influenced. But there is a circle outside of that who may be. These hearings have surprised me. I wasn't expecting a huge amount. I was expecting them to be a bit of a, a damn squib. But they've actually... They, they've been quite impressive, impressive how they've run, impressive in their aims and what they've been trying to do. And today they not only provided, I suppose, potential legal evidence to be used against Trump, which would be quite damaging um, for him if they did get to that stage with the Justice Department, but also that kind of very lasting compelling image. And that image will matter, that image of 
a Trump actively involved in the, the, the Capitol riots, but also a Trump who was petulantly reaching out for a steering wheel, turning it away, and then failing to get there. So that he tried, but he failed to get there. That is an image, and some of these images will stick, not with his base supporters, but with those who maybe want to move on from him or wanted to be able to support him and still seem respectable. What, what about, essentially, his media allies, the likes of Fox News? Will that have an influence on how they view him, uh, the tone they take when they talk about well, we Donald saw, Trump? We saw Fox News say, number one, they're covering the hearings, which I don't think everybody was expecting him to do and covering them quite significantly. But it was called by one of their presenters today, compelling and stunning evidence. So that, to me, is a sign that Fox are saying, this might be a chance to move on and to start moving their support towards somebody like Ron DeSantis in Florida, the governor there, who is currently neck and neck with Trump in polls for New Hampshire. Now, if I was the Democrats, I would not want that to be happening because it's easier to run against Trump than it is to run against somebody who's like Trump without the baggage of Trump because Trump boosts Democratic turnout. And that's how they managed to beat him last time because it was him. I don't know if they beat another Republican with their current strategy. Yeah, Sinead, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, all of this, uh, all eyes are on 2024 and what happens there about a Trump presidential bid and, and whether it will have an, an impact on that. Yeah, I, like that testimony, and I, I saw it like, like uh, Lorcan, I was watching it and it was shocking and yet not in the least surprising. There wasn't a bit of me that didn't believe all that happened, although I, I imagine that Cassidy Hutchinson's um, evidence will probably, there'll be an attempt at discreditation and all kinds of things coming up because if it's not, if it's not directly supported by people who are in the room, it's going to be difficult for her. Uh, 2024, you see, I think the issue is that Biden has failed to do what the, the Democrats wanted, which was to become this great white hope for democracy. Um, he has very poor ratings at the moment. He has now, seems determined to go ahead at his age for an, another term, which I think is probably going to prove disastrous. Kamala Harris has not mm. done all the things she was supposed to. And I think that leaves the door open for Republicans, whether they are Trump supporters or otherwise, um, to, to sail away with both the midterms and indeed 2024. Of course, the other huge development is the Roe versus Wade um, decision that was made. How are the Democrats coming out of all of this? The Democrats saw this coming. It was leaked. They knew that they were going to have to deal with it. They knew this monumentous decision was coming. And their reaction has been very, very, very poor, very uncoordinated, very unstrategic, very, very weak and bland, actually. And I think they need to realise, particularly centrist Democrats need to realise, that it's shifted. The political landscape has changed. It's changed utterly now because you can no longer get away with being bland or being vague on abortion because taking a position and taking a strong position of saying vote for us, give us the House, give us the Senate and here is what we will do to fix it will alienate some voters. It will, but it won't alienate as many as not doing that. And they're still trying to play the old strategy in a world that no longer makes sense for that old strategy. It has absolutely changed and they have to come out and say vote for us and here's how we will fix it. Now, it's very unlikely that they're going to hold the House anyway. It's about 50-50 with the Senate at the moment. But they have to give a plan. Because at the moment, voters are saying, Rose on the ballot. But is it really? Because I don't know what you're going to do about it, Joe, yeah. if I give you control. The other thing is, I suppose the legal spotlight in all of this has turned to individual states and, and what they're doing and the impact that's having 
on women in those states. Yeah, and, and I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that banning abortion has nothing to do with um, with abortion. Uh, it What it does is ban safe abortion for poorer women. Uh, and that, that's simply the only effect. We saw it here in Ireland, gosh knows, for so many decades where we banned abortion. Uh, all we did was export it because it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, I think what's happened now is because politics in America is so polarised, you're for it or you're against it, and there seems to be no truck anymore with the vast majority in the middle uh, who can understand both mm. sides of the argument uh, and that's a huge shame and I think it's it's going to be uh, the loser here is going to be democracy. Okay and the question of course is whether it'll set a uh, precedent for other legislation. Well that is it from us. My thanks to Sinead and to Lorcan and the rest of my panel tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram tonight VMTV TV. but uh, from all the late team here good night. Do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 